0: Okay, so we are like week eight in our Galatians series. We're going through the book of Galatians uh, because, just to kind of refresh your memories, because we want the foundation of this church plant to be on the gospel of Jesus and nothing else. Not like a compelling community that's really important, not um, people who are pressing in and loving and serving their neighbors, that's important, but the gospel has to be the foundations of what we build on because it has to be not just our message but our motivation, okay? So we're gonna actually finish off Galatians Galatians chapter five tonight, the back half of Galatians chapter five, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and flip to Galatians five. We'll be doing verses 16 through 25 this evening. Um, While you're flipping there, did anybody play, do you guys remember the very first Nintendo? Am I dating myself too bad here? Raise your hand if you played the very first Nintendo. Higher so I can see you. Okay. Okay, so <clears throat> I haven't played video games in quite a long time, but when I was a kid, I loved playing Nintendo. The very first one. It was like the, it was the only game, uh, uh, what would you call it? Um, console. console, thank you. It's only game <laughs> console that we had growing up for, like, the longest time, okay? So I was, like, probably in high school. But there were some cool games on that original Nintendo. And my favorite of those games, if you remember this, let me get an amen, was Mike Tyson Punch-Out. Okay? Yes? Can I get an amen? (laughs) All right, if you've played Mike Tyson Punch-Out, it is, it's a boxing game, okay? And the premise is, is you're this character, the guy's name's Little Mac, it's this small little guy who's, you know, supposed to be this boxer, and he, you, know, you face all these different boxers. Right? And, the, and the premise of the game is you, you know, when you're boxing, you, you either you dodge the punch or you punch. Right? If you, got, you guys are familiar with this, hopefully. Um, for those of you guys that haven't played Mike Tyson Punch-Out, it it's pretty cool. So y- you fight all these different challengers, right? all these different boxing matches. And uh, one of the, I gotta remember one of the characters' names was King Hippo. It was this big guy that you'd punch him in the stomach, and he'd do this, he'd do this thing. And But what was funny was I played that game a lot as a kid. And you get to the very, very end. It's kind of like the last level, you know? And you get to fight Mike Tyson. And this is when Mike Tyson was like, you know, he was the greatest boxer ever. He was knocking guys out in the first round. He was crazy. Like, <clears throat> Mike Tyson was terrifying back in the like, late, late 80s, early 90s. And so you get to Mike Tyson, and here's the thing. I could, I could beat every... Flippin boxer in that game except for Mike Tyson. I would get to him and I would lose the fight every single time. Like, I had friends that could beat him and they'd be like, oh, this is how, like, this is the combination that you use to try to beat Mike Tyson at the end of the game and I never could and I remember there was a couple times where I got so frustrated. Like, it was the days before wireless controllers for video games, so I would try to throw the controller. I'd be like, "Oh, curse you, Mike Tyson! I could never win. I could never beat him." And I'd try to like throw the the controller, and it would not go anywhere because of the of the wire. But it was so frustrating. I could never ever beat Mike Tyson. I lost him every time. Tonight, when we're talking about in Galatians, is there's this idea of there's an internal fight in the heart of every Christian. In the same way that I could never beat Mike Tyson, there's this this fight, this battle that's going on internally inside the heart of every single Christian. It's a gnarly fight. And if you're not careful, if you show up to the fight unprepared, you're going to get your butt kicked. So tonight, go ahead and flip to your Galatians chapter 16. We're going to talk about this fight that's inside every Christian. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. Maybe it's... You know, a day, a year, 10 years, 20 years. Galatians 5, verse 16. I'm gonna pray for us before we jump in, okay? Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. Spirit, thank you that you are with us. You are inside of us. I thank you that every single person here is precious in your sight, thank you that you love me. I thank you that you chose me. I thank you that you chose every Christian in this room to enjoy you and obey you forever. And I pray now in this moment that you would fill me, Holy Spirit, to love and serve uh, my friends in this room and keep anything that is not, or keep anything out of my mouth that's going to get in the way of your agenda tonight uh, I do. I, I get a sense that you're going to do something really remarkable this evening. Um, and I trust you and I love you. And I pray you'd pour your spirit out on us, God, in a really cool way. Jesus, in your beautiful holy name, I pray. Amen. Okay, so Galatians chapter 5. Let's talk about this fight, this internal fight going on. Starting in verse 16. Paul's writing again to the Galatians, to the Christians in the region of Galatia, modern-day Turkey, he says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This is the fight, okay? The flesh versus the Spirit, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, when it says not under the law there, it does not mean like you don't obey God. He's not saying you're not under the law, you don't have to worry about, you don't have to worry about obeying God, that's not what he's saying at all. He's referring to relying on the law. If you've been with us, we've been talking this idea of his whole point in this book, Paul's whole point writing to the Galatian Christians is don't move on from the gospel what you do, your performance. When you rely on your performance to get God to approve of you more, that's religion, that's not Christianity. That's not a relationship based and built on the blood and grace and love of Jesus, okay? So he's not saying, when it says not under the law, he's not saying you don't obey God. He's saying when you rely on your performance to make God cool with you, okay? Let's keep reading. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit okay some of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, the fruit of the Spirit. Tonight, we're gonna talk about four things, okay? The first is this, the result of following the flesh. The second, the result of following the Spirit. Thirdly, the role of desire. And lastly, the power that we need, okay? The result of following the flesh, the result of following the Spirit, the role of desire, and the power that we need. Let's jump in. Let's talk about the result of following the flesh. Uh, Starting in verse 19, Paul, he lists the works of the flesh. Okay, the works there, the word there in Greek, it really just means deeds. So like what your flesh does, how it acts, okay? And I think it's really important for us, we're gonna work through each, like this this list, and, and each thing on this list, because there's some things that get lost in translation here. If you're familiar with the way that the New Testament is written, it's written in Greek. The original language is in Greek, and the Greek language, frankly, is far more deep and beautiful than English. There are things in Greek that just don't translate well into English. For instance, they have three different words for love. We have one, okay? And there's plenty of other examples, but some things kind of get lost in translation, so I think it's really important for us to focus in on here so we get the whole picture of what Paul's trying to tell us, okay? So, Let's see, let's, let's jump into this list. The first three of these things, they all have to do with sex, okay? Sex tends to make people feel really uncomfortable. And as a preacher, it's always fun to watch people feel really uncomfortable when you're preaching to them. But let's try not to feel uncomfortable. Let's try to just open our hearts to what God has to say. The first one, sexual immorality. Okay, the Greek word there is is pornēia. That's where you get the word pornography, okay? <clears throat> and what it means is any, any, Sexual contact that happens outside of a marriage between a husband and a wife. That's what he's talking about, okay? The next one, impurity. The Greek word there is akatharsia. I don't even say it. Akatharsia. Akatharsia. It means to talk about sex in a crude or filthy way. Okay, you ever overhear someone having a conversation and they're not talking about sex as the beautiful, amazing gift that it is. They're talking about it in kind of crude, filthy ways that demean people. That's what he's talking about, okay? The third one, uh, sensuality. This is, an um, this is an interesting translation into sensuality because I think some people think sensuality, that doesn't sound necessarily bad, okay? A better translation would be debauchery, okay? The Greek word, uh, it means to be to be unrestrained in your sexual conduct. Okay, it's like an out of control sexuality. Okay, debauchery. It's like I'm not restrained. I. It's kind of like out of control. Okay. Now here's the thing. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a, a coincidence that Paul starts off this list with three things that all have to do with sex. Sex is a really really powerful thing, and not just in our culture, but in cultures past. People, there's a sex drive in every single human being, whether it's great or whether it's small. But here's the thing, and this is really, really important, okay? Sex is not a bad thing. Sex is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a gift from God. He created it. I mean, think about that for a moment. It causes people to blush and they feel weird. But God gave that as a gift for a husband and a wife to be experienced exclusively in the context of marriage in a covenant relationship. A covenant is, is deep, it's beautiful. It's, it's more than just like, cool, I like you, you like me. A covenant is I will be what I should be regardless of whether or not you will be what you, will be what you should be. It's this, it's this beautiful act of giving up your independence and laying down your life for someone. You're signing up to be someone's servant, essentially, and in the same way, God goes, He gifts sex into that kind of an environment, a covenant, a marriage. And the reason that sex has so much power is because it's a living picture of the deepest desire of every human heart. Listen to me. Every single person who's ever walked life, whoever who's ever been, who's ever been born, who's ever like, who's ever breathed air. Their deepest desire, your deepest desire, my deepest desire is to be fully known and fully loved. It's like fully known. Like all the good stuff, all the bad stuff, the good, the bad, the ugly, yet still fully loved. Sex is a beautiful, it's a living picture of that deep and longing, and that's why people, that's why sex has so much power is because if you think about it, you have, you have two people and they're both naked, they're both, they're, all their flaws are exposed all the beauty and all the flaws, totally exposed, yet still embraced. It's a living picture of being fully known, yet fully loved and embraced. Sex is an amazing, glorious gift from God, but the moment it becomes perverted, you have trouble, you have issues. And the moment it becomes perverted, the result is always intense and deep and profound brokenness and pain, and hurting, insecurity. But here's the cool thing. God can redeem anything. He's in the business of resurrecting dead things, things that are lacking life or don't have any life in it at all. God can redeem anybody's impurity. God can redeem the deepest wounds and pains um, that come from either sexual sin, either the sin that you engage in or the sin that's been done against you. God's amazing. He can do anything. He can redeem anything. Okay, let's keep moving. Idolatry. Idolatry just basically means it's valuing things above God, okay? It's like saying that something is worth more in your heart, at a heart level. Something's worth more than God is. It's looking to something to give you what only God can give you. Worth. Identity. So often in my life, I look at what I do and how well I do it to determine my worth. The actions that I do, I literally think that those things would contribute to my value more than God saying, I value you enough to give you to lay my son's life down for you. I idolize my performance regularly. I'm not proud of it. I'm just confessing my sin to you. <clears throat> now here's the thing: we can idolize anything. We can, we, can, we can put more value in things other than God, like we're in anything in your life. Like <clears throat> your job, your kids, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your house, your car. Find your identity in those things, find your worth in those things. You're valuable or not valuable based on you fill in the blank. Anything, being good at Mike Tyson punch-out, not being good at Mike Tyson punch-out, throwing controllers because you're so angry. Let's keep moving. Sorcery, basically just means witchcraft. Okay, enmity, enmity is like hatred. Hostility. Okay, strife is the next one on the list. That's like a bitter disagreement. You ever have a bitter disagreement with somebody? You ever driven on the freeway? in traffic, in Temecula, you've, I guarantee if you have, you've experienced strife. Okay, jealousy, it's, it's greedily desiring what somebody else has. I want what they have. Fits of anger, that's pretty self-explanatory. Rivalries, okay, the Greek word there, <clears throat> it means selfish ambition. Kind of gets to the root of the rivalry, right? Think about even sports rivalries, I want to be ahead. I want you to be behind. It's this idea of selfish ambition. Dissensions. Okay. Dissensions goes hand in hand with the next one, which is divisions. So I think things being divided, being dissensions. Uh, the next one, envy. Envy is when it bothers you when someone else succeeds or experiences blessing. You ever find yourself being envious? Like, be honest. Think about the last time you felt this like, oh, I'm kind of bothered that they got blessed. Maybe a co-worker gets a promotion or gets an attaboy. To be totally frank and honest, being a pastor, and especially a pastor of young adults in the last 10 years, I've had, I've had countless women come to me and go, hey, you know what? I'm not proud of it, but my friend either just had a baby or just got engaged, and I'm I'm ticked off by it. And I don't, I, I, it's gross. I don't want to feel that way. But it's a reality. Something good is happening in someone's life, and we're not stoked on it. <clears throat> it bothers us when someone else succeeds. Now, the last two things on the list, they all have to do with substance abuse. Okay? The first one's obvious drunkenness, right? It's the abuse of alcohol. Um, it, people will say there's all kinds of interesting things that happen in Christian culture. Um, and one of the ones that I understand why, but I still think it's, it's really unhelpful, is this idea that, dr- that like, drinking alcohol is somehow a sin. And I, and I understand that drunkenness has like, a, huge, um, a huge effect on society. I mean, drunk drivers are uh, murdering people behind the wheel. You have alcoholism destroying families. I totally understand why people are going, you know what? The risk of that is pretty intense. Let's just get rid of all of it. The scriptures don't teach that, though. Jesus drank alcohol, but what the scriptures are totally clear about is that drunkenness clearly is sinful. Drunkenness clearly violates the ways that God would have things operate. It leads to really, really stupid choices. It leads to really, really selfish choices. Okay, it's clear, okay? The next one having to do with substance abuse Is orgies. Now, when you read that, your mind obviously and automatically will go to something very specific. But here's the thing Uh, we talked about the Greek, right? Orgies is probably not the best translation for this word, okay? The Greek word there is komos, and it basically refers to a binge party okay, people, <clears throat> like, they would, they, would, they would eat a ton, okay, you'd have a party come together, and it would, it would be, like, excessive eating, excessive drinking, and oftentimes, it would kind of lead to debauchery, okay, so oftentimes, it could lead down that road of, of, of kind of sexual stuff, but it wasn't exclusively that, so I don't know what, I mean, yeah, you could translate it, origins, but I don't know if it's the best translations, but either way, you can see how it's abuse of substance, it's either excessive eating, excessive drinking, You name it, okay? Now, here's the crazy thing. At the end of this list, Paul says something. He lists them all, and then he says, and things like these. So what he's saying is this isn't even an exhaustive list. The works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, here's some, guys, Galatian Christians, here's some of them, and things like these. So it's not an exhaustive list, it means there's plenty more deeds of the flesh. And here's the thing, like as a pastor I have to say, I have like a burning hatred for the things on this list. Not just because I've seen them wreak havoc in my own life, my own sins, my own gross, disgusting, selfish behavior, but like honestly, I've seen the pain and the brokenness that it caused in countless people's lives. And like that's this is what I do for a living, and I have for the past 12 years or something. So I have a front row seat in watching the deeds of the flesh destroy people's lives and cause them pain and suffering. I pastor people through this brokenness and I hate it. <clears throat> so I just want you to see like. There's no glamour here. I'll see people boast in what God saved them from, like, oh yeah, I used to be a drug addict, or I used to whatever, da 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 da, da. God's delivered me from those things. That's amazing. Praise God for the ways that he saves us from terrible things. But I just, I don't want to ever glamorize sin because there's brokenness and pain in real people's lives. Everything on that list is pain, and brokenness, and hurting, and division. So the result of following the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, is brokenness and sin. Okay, let's keep going. The second thing we're going to talk about, the result of following the Spirit. In verse 22, Paul tells us what happens when we follow the Holy Spirit. Okay, he tells us the outcome of following the Holy Spirit, the effect. Okay, it's like you guys understand the difference between cause and effect, right? The cause is following the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. Okay, we're gonna talk about how we actually do that in just a second, but the cause is walking in the Spirit. The effect of walking in the Spirit is the list that he just gives us. Okay? Let's go through it. The first one, love. Okay, so many people in our culture, love is a feeling. You hear, you hear like new um, romantic couples and they go, oh, he gives me butterflies and like, oh, she's so cute and I have this feeling and affection and that's cool, but that's not what love is, okay? I love this quote. Uh, Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City, I think the world of, um, he says this about love. Quote, I think it might be up there, yeah. Love is opening yourself And serving somebody else for the intrinsic value of who they are, as opposed to using them to feel good about yourself, manipulating them to get your way. The opposite of love in the Bible is not hate. It never is. What is it that perfect love casts out? What's the opposite of love? Perfect love casts out fear because the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love, get this, the opposite of love is self-protection. You cannot love and protect yourself. You can't do it. The Bible actually says the opposite of love is fear. Since fear is self-protection, you tracking with me? When you're afraid, you want to protect yourself, right? Since fear is self-protection, love is self-opening, Love is making yourself vulnerable. Love is serving somebody else. I love that. Love is an action. It's not a feeling. It's an action rooted in what's better, what's best for somebody else just because of who they are, the intrinsic value of that other person. Let's keep going. Joy. <clears throat> Joy in Greek, it means to delight in, okay? It means to delight. So, so, um, so joy is to delight in someone. Okay, to delight in them. Like, not what they can provide you. Okay, so I can say I can delight in my wife Ebony. I can say I delight in her because she does this or does that, because she is a good hugger, or because she affirms me with her words, or because she whatever. I can say that. That's very different than delighting in her and who she is as a person: the good, the bad, the ugly. Do you see the difference? Talk to me. Yes? Okay. <clears throat> not what they can provide you, but simply for who they are, delighting in someone. That's joy. You're delighting in something, in someone. Not what, they get out, not what you get out of it. Okay, peace. Okay? Now, peace means more than just like a lack of conflict. Okay, I think oftentimes people think, oh, we were in peacetime, or there's not conflict, so we have peace. It's more than that. It actually means wholeness. Okay, it means that the brokenness of the world, we all experienced it, we just went through a ton of it with the list of the deeds of the flesh, but it, it means that the brokenness of the world is restored to the way it's supposed to be. We all have this, this like intrinsic thing inside of us, this, this, this awareness of when things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Okay, the other day I was um, with my girls, we were in SeaWorld, they have passes to SeaWorld, it's great, they can go anytime they want. And we're in line, and I watched this mom just, like, letting her kid have it. And there's, like, there's hundreds of people around, and she's, this kid's maybe four or five years old, and she's, like, cutting him down with her words. Um, I mean, I'm not the perfect parent, so I don't, you know, I don't want to come across as judgmental, but it, like, it ached my heart the way that she was talking to her son. It, like, hurt me. And in that moment, I was like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Like, there's just something in me of, like, don't, don't talk to that kid's, yeah, he's being a turd probably, but, like, the way you're being excessive in what's happening right now. I think all of us, there's plenty of times, if, if we're aware, there's plenty of times where we can recognize that's not the way things are supposed to be. <clears throat> what peace is, is, is it's when that brokenness that we're aware of, when it gets restored to the way things are supposed to be. <laughs> like, free from worry, free from anxiety, free from fear, Free from hatred or bitterness. Okay, let's keep going. Patience. Patience, it basically means forgiveness instead of being angry or irritable. Think about it. When you're patient, you're quick to forgive. You're not holding people to a standard. You're not not like holding on to bitterness. You're not holding on to anger. It's quick to forgive. That's what patience is rooted in. Kindness. Kindness is actually rooted in generosity. Think about it. Because kindness is totally opposed to envy. We talked about what envy was. Wanting something that somebody else has. Kindness is delighting in seeing other people doing well. You ever met somebody kind, you know quickly, you're like, oh, that person actually desires my well-being. What a kind woman, what a kind man. Goodness. Now, I think goodness is uh, probably not the best translation here again. Another thing, another example for us. Because goodness can seem like really vague. Like if I said, if I brought up Rory and I said, this is Rory, he's a good guy. Like what would that mean? It's pretty, pretty vague, right? <clears throat> let's, talk, let's talk about the Greek. The original word in the Greek. I'm going to try to pronounce this, okay? Agathosune. I can't even say it. Sorry, guys. Agathosune. There we go. Okay. It means sincerity or integrity. <clears throat> it basically is like integrity and honesty instead of hypocrisy. An example would be like um, an example of like goodness would be like you're the same person on Monday as you are on Sunday. Like you're the same person in private that you are in public. So when everybody's watching that person is the same exact person that when the doors are closed, the, the blinds are shut, when no one's watching. You tracking with me with this? <clears throat> That's goodness. It's basically not hiding anything, okay? All right, faithfulness. Faithfulness is being dependable, reliable, no matter what the circumstances are, okay? No matter how hard things get, still reliable, still dependable. Okay, gentleness. Again, not the best translation, uh, <clears throat> the Greek pra- a- prautes is the, is, the, is the Greek word. It means humility. It means humility. And I think humility is something that really is misunderstood. I mean, I can't tell you how many times. I think t- maybe that's why the room is empty because the Oscars are on tonight. We'll see. <laughs> People are like, I'm, quote, sick. And it's like, you just want to see who wins best picture, liar. <clears throat> Either way. I'm not putting anybody on blast. I'm sure everyone's sick. I'm just being silly. But the reason I bring that up is because this idea of humility being misunderstood, right? You ever see on like award shows when they accept their awards, like it's like the biggest moment of their, of their professional life. You know, you just won the Oscar for, you know, best human being ever and best actor or whatever, you know what I mean? And they get up there and like, oh, I'm so humbled by this. That is not humility. That is not what it means to be humble, okay? Humility is not thinking less of yourself, Okay, it's not like oh I'm not that big of a deal, but thank you for making me for making out that I clearly am a big deal. Like that's not what it is. You hear people say oh God deserves all the credit. That's not being humble. That's cool. That's not a bad thing necessarily, but that's actually not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. It's like not, I'm not even really that concerned with me. It's the opposite of pride. I heard it say once, I forget who says this, forgive me, but this idea of if you met a humble person, you would walk away thinking, that person's really nice, and they really cared a lot about me. Like, they were really really interested in me. Because the focus, they're, they're, not, even, they're not even thinking about them, they're thinking about other people. It's not thinking, like, oh, I'm not that good of a person, uh, I'm just, I'm not that great. No. It's just not even being, it's not even considering you, it's considering others. That's humility, and the last one, self-control. Self-control is basically always choosing the important thing over the urgent thing. It's about having your priorities in order and going like, I don't care how much of an urge this feels like, this is the right thing to do. This is the honorable thing to do. <clears throat> it has a lot to do with being disciplined. OK, so really quickly. <clears throat> so you have the deeds of the flesh, right? We talked about those and it's, it's really simple to see. You can see the outcome of those. When we do the things of the flesh, the outcome, their fruit, right? What's produced is all kinds of brokenness and pain. You don't need me to tell you that. You could look at that list and go, yeah, that's gonna result in some pain and some suffering and some brokenness, okay? On the other hand, <clears throat> you have the fruit, the outcome of living by the Spirit. And here's the thing. It's everything that your heart was made for. It's everything that gives you that feeling of like soaring, of just being like, yes, this is, this is what life was meant to be like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's what you were created for. It's what I was created for. Okay? Um, really quick, before we move on to the next point, it's really important to understand something else too about the fruit of the Spirit. It does not say the fruits of the Spirit, like as in plural. It doesn't say, like, here's the fruits of the Spirit and it lists all the different fruits. It doesn't say that. It's singular, <clears throat> okay? And what that means is that they're all related to each other, okay? So think about it. Like, does an, apple tree, uh, does an apple tree produce apples and oranges and lemons? No, it does not. It produces apples, okay? The fruit of the Spirit produces this fruit, okay? All those things that it lists aren't different fruits. It's one fruit, and that fruit is holiness, and if you look at it from a different angle, this is what holiness looks at, looks like. You follow me with this? You get this idea? It's the fruit of the Spirit, okay? All right, <clears throat> let's move on. The role of desire, this is important, okay? I think a lot of this is stuff that you've already kind of heard. This is, I think, where I think that, that God wants to do some heart work tonight. Okay, look back at verse 16. I'm gonna read it again. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Desires of the flesh. Verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires, we're talking about desire here, of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Okay, we have this internal fight going on, right? Every Christian has the flesh and has the spirit and this internal battle inside of them. Okay, Now, where it says desires of the flesh, again, I'm gonna get geeky and talk about Greek with you, right? It's um, epithumia. Epithumia, it means lust. So where it says the desires of the flesh, a better translation there would be the lusts of the flesh. Now, what do you think about when I use the word lust? What's the first thing that pops into your brain? Do not be quiet. I preach, just so you know, like my... uh, my, my, how well I preach is determined on how well you, you, you participate with me, so if I do bad, it's all your fault, okay? <laughs> no, but seriously, talk to me. What's the first thing you think of when you hear me say lust? Sex, Sex thank you. <clears throat> yeah, and most people. Okay, we, here's the thing. We think of lust as purely sexual, but it's, it's way, 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 way more than that. To lust is to over-desire something. It's not, it's not the desire that's the problem. Like, God made you with desires. Like, that's not an accident. It's a beautiful thing. He, he made you hungry, if that makes sense. He made, you, he made you thirsty. You being thirsty, you being hungry, you having desire is not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. So it's not so much that, like, um, that we desire even bad things, the problem isn't desiring bad things. The problem is that we over-desire good things. Um, I've told you guys this before, but when I was in high school, I played water polo. I think water polo is one of the coolest sports in the world. It's intense, it's brutal, it's crazy, but I can still remember, I can still remember my very last water polo game. I was a senior in high school. <clears throat> it was CIF, so it was playoffs. It's like the state playoffs, if you aren't familiar what that is. And it's like it's, it's single elimination, so if you lose, you're done. And we're playing a team that we had beat in the regular season. So this is like a team that we, we had beat them earlier on, and then we met back up with them in the playoffs. And I'm a senior, so I'm thinking, this could be my last game ever. A lot's on the line. If we win this game, we move on to the next round in the playoffs. It's intense. It's competitive. It was crazy. I remember that, that it was a night game, and it was like raining. It was crazy. It was kind of cool. But I can remember this game, and it's back and forth. Like, we would score, they would score, they would score, we would score. It was was really, really close. And I can remember at the end of the game, they scored late on like a bogus, weird kind of play, and we lost by one goal. I was livid. Like, I'm not proud of this. I'm gonna tell you a shameful story about me, but... I remember we, the, the whistle blows, and they're freaking out, their fans are going crazy, and I'm just like, so angry. And I get up out of the pool, and if you're familiar with water polo, like, our uniform is like a Speedo in this stupid little hat that protects our ears. <laughs> and I get out of the water, and I rip off my hat, and I throw it against the wall, and I go into the locker room. I don't join my team to shake their hands and say, good game. I, I, don't, I don't mourn the loss with my team. I go by myself because I'm so ticked off that I just lost this game. It was in the playoffs and it mattered so much to me. The problem was not water polo. The problem was not competition. The problem was not even like a desire for victory. All those are really good things. They're fine. The problem was my over desire. It was my lust for water polo. It was my lust for victory. Do you see the difference? Lust is to over desire something, even a good thing, even something like water polo. What do you lust for? Maybe you're like me and you find yourself lusting over having smart, wonderful, well-behaved children. Sounds funny, but when my heart internally wants to take off my cap and throw it against the wall and be angry with my spouse or angry with somebody else because I'm over-desiring my children being a certain way or looking a certain way. Maybe you lust for a spouse or, or, or maybe you don't lust for a spouse, but maybe you lust for your spouse to be a certain way. Maybe you lust to have your boss say, well done, good job. Maybe you lust over food and drink. You over-desire it. And maybe it's sex. The cliche lust, right? Right? There's nothing wrong with sex. Sex is a beautiful gift from the Lord. It's a good thing. But just like anything else, when it becomes an idol, something good turns into something sour. So what do we do? Okay, We've talked about this so far. What do we do? We have this this internal fight happening inside of us. We have two conflicting desires, the flesh and the spirit. How do we actually stop our lusting, our over-desiring, Okay, do we do what culture says is just, come on, try harder. I mean, may see this in the church all the time. Just stop sinning. Knock it off. I think about my parenting and I have to stop myself. I'm, I literally, my knee-jerk reaction as a parent when I encounter my daughter's sinning is to say, stop. What that communicates is, try harder. You're not trying hard enough. That's not the heart of the father. We're gonna see why in just a second. How do we stop our lusting, our over-desiring, okay? Trying harder is simply not gonna work. We need something way more powerful than willpower, okay? My final point, the power that we need. Look back at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm gonna read that to you one more time. Listen to this. In one verse, Paul is gonna give us the remedy to sin, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The lusts of the flesh. The list that we just went through and and other things that he describes. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul gives us the answer. He says that if you walk by the Spirit, if you live by the Spirit, you will not give in to the desires of the flesh. Okay, he gives us the remedy to stop sinning. Guys, this is incredible. This is like gold, okay? So what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? What What does it mean to live by the Spirit? What does it mean to follow the Holy Spirit? Flip over to John chapter 16 in your Bibles. John chapter 16, I'm gonna read you guys verse 13 and verse 14, this idea of what does it mean to walk by the Spirit because Paul says that if we walk by the Spirit, we won't lust, we won't over-desire. Okay, how do we do this? How do we follow the Spirit? How do we live by the Spirit? How do we walk by the Spirit? John 16, verse 13. This is Jesus talking. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will declare to you, that's Christians, disciples, the things that are to come. Listen to this in verse 14. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Friends, Jesus gives us like the main role of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what the Holy Spirit is devoted to in his existence. The Holy Spirit is devoted to glorifying Jesus. Okay? That means that the Holy Spirit is all about drawing people's attention to the glory of Jesus. Okay, like we talk about how amazing Jesus is all the time. Like that's that Jesus is everything. There's nobody more beautiful, there's nobody more um, impressive. Jesus is the reason for the church. Jesus is the reason for all of creation. Uh, All things were made through him and by him and for him. Like, he's the reason, okay? We talk about how incredible he is all the time. But what exactly is his glory? Jesus tells us. On the same night that Jesus said these words, um, this is the last night of his life, by the way, Like in a few hours, he's going to be delivered over to to the chief priests to be crucified by the Roman government. But just before this, he tells us. He tells us what is glorious. The night, the last night of his life. Earlier in John, in John chapter 13, verse 31, he says this When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. He's telling me he's, telling me he's about to leave, right here. He says, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Where is Jesus about to go? The cross. The cross. This is the night before Jesus dies. He's about to go to the cross. Friends, Jesus' glory is the cross. It's the climax of his life. It's the demonstration of God's power to destroy sin and death forever. Friends, the Holy Spirit is devoted to glorifying Jesus. He's devoted to drawing attention to the cross of Jesus. Are you seeing this? There's nothing more glorious. There's nothing more beautiful. Nothing compares. Nothing even comes close. There's nothing more glorious in all of creation. The most epic sunset you've ever seen the most inc- incredible encounter of love and intimacy you've ever had. Nothing even comes close to the glory of the cross. And that's what the Holy Spirit is devoted to. It's God demonstrating his love. That's, it, it's, the cross is the gospel. To walk in the Spirit is to join the Holy Spirit in beholding the glory of Jesus. It's it's, it's joining the Holy Spirit in being in awe of the cross. Like, do you see the power that believing the gospel has? Paul's saying that when you walk in the Spirit, when you behold the glory of Jesus, when you believe the gospel you won't lust. You won't over-desire. You won't do the deeds of the flesh. Do you see that power in, in believing the gospel? Cause and effect. The cause of believing the gospel, walking in the spirit, beholding the glory, being in awe of the cross, the cause of that results in Not lusting, not doing the deeds of the flesh. This is crazy. This is like super powerful stuff here, guys. Paul's telling us that the remedy to sin is believing the gospel, it's beholding the glory of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you. It's power. All right, I'll close with this. You guys can come on up. So I go to the YMCA a couple, three times a week, or whatever, just, just, just to like use the gym there and uh, try to be healthy. It's, uh, <laughs> being healthy is not always the easiest thing. But I enjoy going to the gym. It helps me clear my mind. Um, and there is, like the more you go to the same place, whether it's the gym or anywhere else, you start to run into the regulars. You bump into the people that are there around the same time that you are. <clears throat> like Jen and Rocky work at Augie's, they, yeah, like they're gonna bump into and see the regulars at certain different times. A lot of you guys have different rhythms in your life where you bump into the regulars, the people that are doing the same kind of rhythm that you are. But there's a guy who goes to my gym <clears throat> and he goes really hard at the gym. And here's the thing, just above both of his knees, like he he lost his legs just above both of his knees. So he's got two prosthetic legs. So when you, and, and there's been times where I watch him work out and I'm like, this guy is not skipping a beat, man. And he is a veteran, he's a war veteran. And I see him probably once or twice a week at the gym, and sometimes I just watch him work out. I know that sounds creepy. <laughs> but like, it might sound weird, but he kind of inspires me, right? And the other day I was, I was, I was like watching him and I was just kind of even praying for him. And <clears throat> I had this thought because what happens usually when I, when I encounter him at the gym, like when I see him, it, it has this effect on the way that I think about our military. Like, it's easy to, you know, I have friends in the military, so it's not like a, that foreign of a thing for me. But, but when I watch him and I see him, it puts things just into perspective. Like, this man signed up. He put himself in harm's way to serve and protect our freedom. Like, it's a real thing, okay? And the dude lost both of his legs, like think about think about the reality of that you ever hurt you like i've um i'm i I've, like i've pulled my back out a couple times where i can't move for a couple weeks and it's hugely inconvenient and frustrating i have to like crawl on the ground i like, have i broke my leg when i was a kid i've had some injuries nothing like life-threatening but i've had some injuries to where you can realize like man if i don't have like something as simple as my pinky like it affects me and it's really it's not fun. Like this dude lost both of his legs. And I'm sitting there in the gym and my heart is moved and just thinking that the reality of this guy and other men and women who serve our country in that specific, tangible way that would put themselves in harm's way to protect my freedom and to serve me, and to serve us, their community. It's a beautiful thing, it's awesome, it's courageous, it's beautiful. I'm sitting in the gym and I have this thought, like there's gonna be a day when I see my Jesus face to face. Like I'm gonna see him in all of his glory. And do you know what else I'm gonna see on that day? I'm going to see his scars. I'm going to see the holes in his hands. I'm going to see the holes in his feet. I'm going to see my Jesus' battle wounds. His scars. And what's going to happen in that moment is gratefulness is going to well up in my heart that's going to last and compound and grow for all of eternity. Friends, the Holy Spirit is always glorifying Jesus. Like he wants to direct you to those same scars. He wants the reality of of the wounds that Jesus is carrying. He He wants to make you aware of his glory. Those scars, they're like, they're treasures to me when I think about my Jesus and I think about the holes in his hands. Those are treasures to me. Those are like trophies of his victory over sin and death for me. It's like I couldn't beat Mike Tyson, right? It punch out. Like I just, I, I could never do it. <clears throat> like I, in the same way, I, I can't defeat my sin, my over-desire, my lustful heart. I can't try hard enough to stop it and neither can you. You can throw the controller, you can get ticked off because your willpower isn't strong enough. I can't beat sin, neither can you, but Jesus can and he did. And he's got the scars to prove it. But they're not scars of defeat, they're scars of victory, man. You get to share in that victory. It's proof So here's the thing. When you and I, when we join the Holy Spirit and we fix our eyes on the glory of Jesus, when we actually turn our attention, not conceptually, but when we actually turn our attention to Jesus and all of his glory, his scars of victory, it has the power to to change. It has the power to shift our lustful, over-desiring hearts and place them where that desire actually belongs. Your desire is not wrong. But your desire is actually rooted in him. He's the only one that can actually fulfill those desires. You were created to desire the one who died on the cross for you. And he makes himself available. He's the one who gave himself to you. It's Jesus. Let me pray for us, okay? God, I pray for those of us in the room who are hidden. And not specifically like, um, I, I just get the idea of like hidden in plain sight. Like we're here, we're present, but we're not really known because we're afraid. And I pray, um, Spirit of God, that you would, your perfect love would cast out all that fear. And that we would experience and behold and be in awe of your glory. The holes in your hands, the holes in your feet, the scars of you demonstrating your love. And I pray that when we feel powerless, or even apathetic to our sin, like, you know what, I wanna do this. I pray, Holy Spirit, that in that moment that you would direct our eyes to your glory. You would direct our eyes to the cross because it's the power, it's the power to not sin, to not do the desires, the deeds of the flesh. So I pray protection over every Man and woman in this room, I trust you, Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that it's good news yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Thank you that it's the power to transform us. It's the power to put the sinful desires of our flesh to death so that we can experience the beauty of love and joy and peace. I pray peace over every heart. There's, yeah. I'm grateful for your love, Jesus. And I pray that we wouldn't be men and women who, are, um, who believe the lie um, that somehow our performance could somehow get you to be more pleased with us. The good news of the gospel is that you are pleased with us in Jesus. I pray that we would, re- we would embrace that and receive that and rehearse that and rejoice in that. I love you, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.